Um, uh, so, uh, back to our study of Exodus. We're in chapter 6 still. Uh, for first-time visitors or for anybody who has missed the, uh, the preaching of, in Exodus so far, uh, you're welcome to, uh, and you're encouraged to watch them uh, on our Facebook page or on our podcast. Uh, so, having said that, let's, let's continue. Uh, so in the past few weeks, we have taken up the first nine verses of chapter 6, which dealt uh, with the response of God to the doubts of Moses and the Israelites. You know, if you remember that, if you've been following along, that's where we're at. Uh, and then we saw how God intended to reassure Moses in chapter 6 uh, and the Israelites that even though their first attempt at freedom failed, uh, God wasn't just going to give up. First attempt of freedom was Moses and Aaron going up to Pharaoh and saying, give us three days of religious leave. Right? And Pharaoh said, nope. No three days off. In fact, I'll make your work harder. Uh, that's what happened, right? And so the, the Israelites and even Moses got discouraged and disappointed. Uh, and then they started to doubt God. Uh, and God, in response, at the beginning of chapter 6, reminded them again. This is my covenant that I made to your forefathers. And, and because, because I've made a covenant, uh, I'm going to keep it. Uh, and now that uh, I've heard your cries, um, I remember my covenant, uh, and I'm going to keep it. Uh, and then God reassured them uh, of guaranteed action on God's part uh, to free them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. How? Through the seven I will statements uh, that we took up the past couple of weeks, uh, in verses 6 to 8. Remember all that stuff? I hope so. Because if you don't, you're not going to understand this next part. <laughs> okay? I hope you remember all that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to review them in detail, obviously. We're going to lose time. So, uh, this morning we're going uh, to move forward and we're going to take a look at Israel's response first to God's I will statement and then how God responds back to them. Okay? So if you go back to your Bibles in, in verse 9, uh, this is what happens next. So in uh, verse 6, in chapter 6, God said um, to Moses, uh, tell the Israelites this, right? And then he goes on to say his I will statements. In verse 9, Moses, whatever God told the, Moses, he spoke thus, to the people of Israel. So when he says there, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, uh, the author means the I will statements. Okay? God said that he will do this, that he will do this, 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 this. Moses said that to the, to the people of Israel, but look at the response. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So that's going to be the focus of our study today. God said, I will do this, I promised to do this. Moses said that to the Israelites. But the Israelites didn't listen. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. If you remember, if you backtrack, in chapter 4, Moses did the same thing. When he first came over to Egypt, all right, coming from Midian, remember? He went to Egypt because God called him through the burning bush. Moses spoke first to the people of Israel, right, with Aaron uh, in, in chapter 4. And how did they respond then? 
Back then, in chapter 4, not only did they listen to Moses, they even bowed their heads in worship, remember? Uh, and then after the event with Pharaoh happened, and Pharaoh denied them of the three days of sabbatical, so to speak, in verse 9, Moses again tells them, this is what God promised to do. This is God's I will statement. This is what he's going to do to free you from slavery. But this time, the people of Israel, they don't want to listen. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Uh, we're going to take a closer look at that in the following uh, uh, message. But for today, I want you guys to notice, how did God respond to the response of the Israelites? So God says, I'm going to save you. Don't worry about this little hiccup. Okay. I'm going to save you. I will do this. And then Israelites said, no, we won't listen. How did God respond? Check out verse 10. Can you guys read this part? The Lord said to Moses, what? Go. Tell Pharaoh... King of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then last verse again. But the Lord spoke to them and gave them a charge. The people of Israel and about the king, Pharaoh king of Egypt, bring the people of Israel out of so what, what was God's response to their doubts? He's doubted again by the people of Israel. He, they didn't even want to listen, right? Uh, so he was doubted the first time. Now they didn't even want to listen to Moses uh, and his promise of freedom from God. How did God respond? Well, based on those verses, God never changed course. God still said, no, go in, tell Pharaoh, free my people. Moses comes up with another excuse. What was Moses' excuse? But I have uncircumcised lips. What does that mean? I, was, I, I stutter. I can't speak properly. I don't have the skills to do this. But God said, no, I've heard that before. Go and tell Pharaoh to free my people. God never changed Course, just like he was at the beginning of chapter 6, he was all about fulfilling his covenant with Israel's forefathers this whole time, right? Um, and from here on out, that's what's going to happen. He will do whatever it takes to get them to the promised land because that's what he promised, not just to these people in Egypt, but even before to their forefathers, he was all about, God was all about fulfilling his covenant, fulfilling his promises. Um, and when you look at that, the, the, I guess the significance of that to us is that if, if this story of Israelites in Egypt and their salvation and their freedom is a pointer to our salvation, then we can rest assured that if God is that serious about his covenant keeping back then, he will also keep all his promises 
to those of us who call on the name of his son for salvation even now. Amen? Are, are we assured of that? Are we confident in that? That God will keep his covenant? That God will keep his promises in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? Now, that's the, pretty much the interpretation of the text. God gets doubted again. But even though they doubted God, didn't even want to listen to his promises, God kept going. He kept on going in order to fulfill his covenant and his, uh, his great love for the people of Israel to free them from slavery. Now, this morning I want us to see two truths that I've observed from this text. Uh, first, truth that I want us to see in this text in, in uh, Exodus 6, 9 to 13. First truth I want us to see is just how relentless God is when it comes to his salvation plan and covenant keeping. How relentless God is when it comes to his salvation plan and his covenant keeping. Okay? Uh, God's consistency and relentlessness when it comes to his promised salvation is mind-boggling to me. Okay? To say the least. Okay? If we were to put that kind of passion when it comes to accomplishing something in our context, as human beings, you might be called obsessed. <laughs> right? If you are that focused to keep covenant, to finish what you started, some people might say, you're obsessed. Uh, that's what I see here uh, in God. You must be obsessed. Right? Um, and I'm going to argue that, that God needs to be relentless when it comes to keeping his word. Otherwise, he would not be loving. If God doesn't keep his word, if he wasn't that obsessed in keeping his word, then I, I can't imagine how uh, God could be loving. If God keeps on going back on his word and is not passionate when it comes to keeping his promises, how can he be trusted? If God says something and then, all, and then something happens and then he changes his mind, how can you trust this guy? How can you trust this God? And if he can't be trusted, how can he be loving? He can't. That's the first truth I want us to see in this text. Second, God's relentlessness when it comes to his promised salvation is necessary. Okay? God's relentlessness to his promised salvation is necessary. He has to be that way. Why? Because of man's inability to save themselves. Okay? If salvation begins and ends with God, then we can't have a God who will change his mind in the middle of the process for whatever reason. If he's in the process of saving us, and then we do something bad, we can't have a God who says, you know what, forget you all. <laughs> he has to be relentless when it comes to his salvation because it is necessary. He has to be that way. So, let's take these up one at a time. First truth that I see I want to share with you today, uh, found in those verses in chapter 6, God's relentlessness in keeping his 
covenant. God is relentless when it comes to keeping covenant. First, what does it mean to be relentless? Okay, I've heard this used uh, when somebody, like when a, when a guy is, um, you know, trying to court a girl, that this person is relentless, right? When you say relentless, what does it mean? In Tagalog, I think you can translate it to Makulit, right? Some guys, they get rejected 10 times and still keep coming back. No, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> Anybody experience that? I've never experienced No. <laughs> right? That's what it means to be relentless. You just keep coming back over and over again. You get rejected, you come back again. Relentless, right? That's what God is showing us here. He is relentless when it comes to keeping covenant. So, what does it mean to be relentless? To be relentless can be taken in both positive and a negative way. Okay, positively, being relentless means to be persistent. Okay, somebody mentioned that. To be relentless means to be continuous, non-stop. Right? Some guys tell, say that about their wives. She's relentless. Her mouth just keeps on. She's relentless when it comes to. <laughs> she always has a list for me to do. It never stops. Relentless. Right? She keeps going. It's, it's non-stop. It's continuous in a positive sense. In a negative sense, to be relentless can also mean to show no mercy. Walang awa. Right? Relentless to show no mercy or to show no signs of stopping. And this is the, the best part of it. To be relentless is to show no signs of stopping with no decrease in intensity, severity, or pace. Can you imagine? That's God. That's God. He's that relentless. No signs of stopping and the intensity doesn't change. It's the same. Wow. God's relentlessness when it comes to his promised salvation could be taken both positively and negatively. Right? As far as, we refer, as far as it refers to those whom God is saving, okay, God's salvation is persistent. It's continuous. It is non-stop until the promise is fulfilled. Amen? He's relentless in that sense. He will not stop until his promises are all fulfilled. We'll see an example of that this morning in our text. Now what about the negative aspect? When it comes to the enemies of God's salvation, when it comes to those people who is in the way of God's salvation, right? fulfilling his covenant with his people, God will show no mercy or show no signs of stopping. When it comes to those who are against him, against the salvation that he's trying to bring to his people, when it comes to that, God will show no mercy. He's relentless. Or show no signs of stopping with a severity and intensity that is the same from the time he started. 
And this relentlessness of God against those who stand in the way of his salvation will keep coming. It's not going to stop. The intensity stays the same. Severity is the same. Pace is the same. You know what pace is? Speed of which things are coming at you. Right? It's like, uh, you guys like boxing? Who like boxing here? I don't like Manny Pacquiao, but when he was... Uh, who is Manny Pacquiao fan? I don't know everybody here is a Manny Pacquiao fan. I'm, I'm a Floyd Mayweather fan. But Manny Pacquiao, when he was young, when he first fought uh, Barrera, you guys remember that fight? The very first time he was on national TV in Vegas, the commentators kept saying, wow, this guy's relentless. From round one to whatever round Barrera quit, because Barrera quit that fight, if I remember correctly. From round one to round four or eight or six or something like that, Pacquiao just kept coming. He never got tired. <laughs> the speed of his punches were the same. Intensity were the same. Right? He just kept coming. That's how God is to anyone who is standing against his promised salvation. You'll see that in Exodus, right? Later on, when we see the plagues, right? And he has no mercy. Showed no mercy. So if God is for you, he will pursue you relentlessly, regardless of whether or not you respond to his pursuit positively or negatively. If you're his, he will keep coming after you. Good news, right? But if God is against you, God's relentlessness will not be matched. No other being will be able to endure God's relentless wrath. You will see both of these aspects of God's relentlessness throughout our study of the book of Exodus. Right? For example, okay, when it comes to his um, relentlessness to save, okay, our text at uh, the end of chapter 5, and where we, where we are at chapter 6, uh, just like what I said earlier, God has been rejected twice in a span of a chapter by his own people. Right? First, when Pharaoh denied the three-day sabbatical that Moses and Aaron requested, right, he was rejected by his people. He was doubted. Second was when God finished telling Moses, tell the Israelites about my I will statements. Israelites rejected, rejected, him, rejected him again. Right? Um, now, if I was God, <laughs> the second time they reject me, if I was God, if I got rejected again, just like what's happening here in Exodus 6 verse 9, if I get rejected again, I would take everything that I said back. Who, who's, who agrees with me? Obviously nobody, because I'm the only bad person here. <laughs> if I was God, you tell me twice to take a hike? I'll take everything back. No more covenants. <laughs> Forget the covenant. Right? No more promises. You don't trust me. You don't deserve salvation. I was... 
You don't trust me? Then try to free yourselves on your own. That's what I would say. <laughs> Imagine if God actually did that. Imagine. Because he almost did, right? Check out uh, chapter 33 in Exodus, verses 1 to 6. And you guys read this part. interesting right in that verse and that that chunk of verses came after the Israelites got bored waiting for Moses to come down the mountain and they said to Aaron Aaron build us or make us a God here is our gold make us a God that's what happened right? but as you read that as you read the text isn't it interesting how God he was still about his relentless keeping of his covenant. <laughs> Did you see that? Even after the Israelites betrayed him by worshiping a golden calf, God said, okay, you know what? Get on up out of here. I will kill all your enemies in front of you. I will give you the land that I promised to give you. Right? But I'm not going with you. I, I, I can't go with you anymore. I will not go with you. Why? He said, because I might kill you along the way. <laughs> Why? Because you are stiff-necked people. Right? I might end up killing you. You know what? I'll give you whatever I promised. So he was still about keeping covenant. But I'm not going to go with you anymore. Because I might end up killing you along the way, you stiff-necked. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? Okay, I, I had an idea of what it was before. I thought it was just, you know, like the, bat, the Michael Keaton Batman. You know what I'm talking about? You can't turn his head. Is that what being stiff-necked means? You can't turn your head. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, those of you movie fans? The first Batman came out, Michael Keaton, every time he has to turn his head, he has to go like... Because he can't turn his, his head because his neck is um, <laughs> it's all stiff. Is that what it means to be stiff-necked people? Uh, I, so I looked it up. What does it mean to be stiff-necked in Hebrew? In Hebrew, the word for, or the phrase, the words for stiff-necked is kasha oref. Kasha oref. If you translate that list literally, kasha means to be stubborn or hard-headed. Uh, oref means to turn back or 
are unable to turn back or to turn. So you're hard-headed to turn. That's what stiff neck means. Hard-headed, stubborn to turn. Okay? So uh, st still, you can't understand what it means, right? So you, you, I go through uh, commentaries. So one commentary said this, uh, or one Hebrew professor put it like this. To be stiff-necked is like having your head on backwards. Okay, now you're getting a picture of what stiff neck means. To be stiff neck is like having your head on backwards where we stop looking at things we cannot see and prefer to look at what we can see. Okay? So imagine right now you can't see the back of... You can't. I don't care what you do. If you're just going to turn your neck, you can't. But what if you have, you're facing that way? <laughs> but your, your body is facing forward. That's what it means to be stiff-necked. It's like having your head on backwards. So instead of continuing to trust God and His promises, looking forward to the, to the promises of God, the Israelites, what did they do? The whole time they were in Egypt, they kept looking back. I wish I was back in Egypt. You brought me out here. We're just going to die here, right? In Egypt, we had fish. Now you're just giving us bread. There's no meat. There's no water. I wish I was back in Egypt. Why are they like that? Because they can't. Their, their heads are on backwards. All they can see is what's back there. They can't look forward. And they can't turn forward because they're stiff-necked. <laughs> they kept looking back to when they were enslaved and thinking, because that's all they can see, that's the best place to be in right now. I'd rather be there than in Egypt, wandering around in the desert. And so what did they do while waiting for Moses, being stiff-necked? They created their own God. That's what they were used to in Egypt. Right? Polytheists in Egypt. Not used to having one God. So they go back to where or how they were when they were in, in Egypt. Now, put yourselves in God's shoes. What will you feel when you hear and see what the Israelites have done? It's like what I said earlier. I would be angry. I would be mad. That's why when God said, I will not go with you because I might end up killing you along the way, I was like in the movie theaters. You know, when, you, when you, the good guy starts beating up on the bad guys? Like in Gladiator, when, Gladi when he fought the emperor. Have you seen that movie, Gladiator? You know the emperor there, Joaquin Phoenix? Oh, I hated the guy from the start, right? And then at the end, he gets to kill him. I'm like, yes, stab him one more time. <laughs> kill him. When God said, I'm not going to go with you. I'll give you all, everything that you asked for. I'll give you everything that I promised, but I'm not going to go with you because I might end up killing you along the way. I was like, good. Get them, God. <laughs> they deserve that. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your, your patience. They deserve your wrath. That's what I was feeling when I was reading this. But look, look at how Moses intercedes for the people of Israel. Check out uh, the next verses in Exodus 33. 
verse 12. You guys read it again. understood what what you just read what Moses did in order to uh, calm God down right what Moses did was held God to his word right you see what he did Moses repeated everything that God has told him that he was going to do you said I found favor in your sight you said you said that's what Moses did right and remember God is relentless when it comes to keeping his promises, his word. Moses knew that. And so God, being this relentless when it comes to keeping covenant, in verse 17, he said to Moses, you know what? The very thing I have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So even in his anger, God was still about keeping his word. Relentless, remember? About keeping his covenant. And after that, even if he is so angry that he told these, told these people, I'm going to give you everything, but I'm not going to go with you because I might kill you, he showed them mercy. Right? Why? Because... He must keep his word. Not just the covenant to the people of Israel, but his word to Moses. Right? Now, while studying for this, uh, you know, obviously you got to reflect, internalize, meditate on the words. I, I started thinking, you know, in my tenure here as pastor at GBC, there have been a few times where I was tempted to show the negative side of being relentless. I was tempted to be like, you know what? Show no mercy. Because <laughs> that's what relentless means, right? To the enemies of God. I was tempted to show the negative side of being relentless. I have felt an anger that sometimes drove me to think and even pray for some nasty imprecatory prayers. You remember what imprecatory prayers are? And it's okay to pray these prayers, right? Remember what imprecatory prayers are? David prayed imprecatory prayers against his enemies. Remember what it was? Lord, please kill all my enemies. Lord, please, I pray that lightning strike each and every... Lord, please... 
because of the anger that I have felt sometimes, I was tempted to pray those nasty, imprecatory prayers. Because I'm human, right? Some of you have probably felt that anger before too. Not just me. But time after time, whenever I felt that way, I've always thought about how God must be feeling the same thing about me. You ever think about that? <laughs> that God is probably saying, you know what? Since you keep asking me for this, I'll give this to you. It's to shut you up, but I'm not going to go with you anymore. I'll leave you to yourself. Because I might end up killing you along the way because of your stiff neck. <laughs> because you're stiff neck. I'm the same way. Right? Stubborn. Right? My stubbornness sometimes drives my wife crazy. Right? I see that. And if, if she's going crazy with my stubbornness, I wonder about God. He must be up there just, you know, Just wanted to send a bolt of lightning down. But then you begin to realize that if God were to treat me that way, uh, if God were to treat me the way I wanted to treat some difficult people that I've run across, then I wouldn't be here right now. Now realizing that, uh, my prayers changed from imprecatory to I'm sorry. <laughs> because you realize you're the same way to God. You must be sitting there just like what he said to the Israelites. Yo, all you want is my promises. Here you go. Take the promises. So I'm not going to go with you anymore. But because of his relentless covenant keeping, his relentless love for the Israelites, he showed them mercy. God's relentlessness to save in order to fulfill his covenant because of his great love is non-stop. It is consistent. It is continuous. Why? Because God's name and his glory depends on it. If God says that he is love, then he has to be relentless when it comes to fulfilling his covenants. Because if not... Again, just like what I said earlier, he cannot be trusted. And therefore, he cannot be loving. If every little thing that we do, which to a holy God must be annoying, to say the least. If every little thing that we do, will, God will change his mind about saving, then I can't trust. We can't trust God. And if you can't trust him, then he must, he can't, he can't be loving. Right? But thank God that his relentlessness in keeping covenant, along with his great love, enables what? Grace, mercy, forgiveness to be shown to us. Hard-headed, stubborn, stiff-necked, some of us people. 
And in that, we should be thankful. Right? Because you could have easily just treated us less like enemies. And you, you see how God treats his enemies. So relentless as well. But when it comes to the people that he saves, this relentlessness shows up in long-suffering patience, slow to anger, abounding in, finish it, abounding in steadfast love, even though he gets rejected over and over and over again. He is relentless to keep his covenant. Amen? Why we look so sad? He is, I don't know how else to explain it, but I thought that was good news. I was reading this. I'm like, hey, yeah, they're going to like this one. No. <laughs> you're looking at your face and you're all like. That's the first truth I want us to see this morning. That even though God has been doubted, disrespected by the Israelites, God's love for his people and his commitment to his covenant to bring them to the promised land, and, may, and might I add, his commitment to his glory. To bring them to the promised land remained. That never changed. He was, he's relentless when it comes to pursuing his promised salvation. Second truth that we can see here in our text. Is God's relentlessness when it comes to his promised salvation is necessary. God's relentlessness when it comes to his promise, salvation is necessary. He has to keep coming. He has to, he can't stop. Why? The reason that uh, verse 9 gives us, why does God's relentlessness to save his people has to be, it has to be necessary. It has to be that. He can't stop. He can't do it any other way. Why? What does it say in verse 9? Because of what? The people's broken spirit and harsh slavery. Or in other translation, because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Now what does that mean? I'm going to read to you a comment by Riken. Riken comments, the Israelites were enslaved by their slavery. Their very chains were what prevented them from hearing the cry of freedom. More literally, their spirits were broken and so broken that they would not listen to the promise of deliverance. This last statement is what spoke to me. What kept them in bondage was their bondage itself. What kept them in bondage was their bondage itself. That's why in chapter 33, God calls him, uh, God calls the Israelites stiff-necked. They have their head on backwards, and there's nothing they can do about it. All they can do is look back, keep looking back. Meanwhile, not forgetting, but unable to look forward to God's promises. Right? They were so broken and so enslaved that even though the promise of God's deliverance was imminent, it's coming. Because of years of disappointment and frustration, there was no way for them to even hope anymore. Imagine that. 
you've been disappointed so much, 400 years of disappointment, got them enslaved to their slavery. What does that mean? In, in, uh, in India, the way they train elephants to be submissive is when they're still baby elephants, they chain them to a stick. Like big chains. Baby elephants probably like this big. They put a chain around their, f their foot, chain them to a stick. So the baby elephant, not knowing, you know, not, not really mature yet, always tries to, start, to, to try to get away. They keep pulling on the chain, pulling on the chain. And every time they, they pull, they realize, oh, can't get away. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Pull on the chain, pull on the chain. And they keep growing that way. As babies, they became, I guess, teenage elephants. <laughs> I don't know how elephants. When they're teenagers, they start pulling on the chain. Oh, still can't get up. They become adults. They keep pulling on the chain. They pull so much and get disappointed so much that their spirits get broken to the point where they stop pulling. They start, they stop trying because they know I'm not going to get anywhere. And it's that point where they take the chains off and put a string. And they tie it around the stick. Big elephants being held by a string. Do they even try? No. Because they're, it's in their mind, they've been ingrained. that They've been trained that, no, there's no getting away. When they look at the string, they still see a chain, not a string. So they don't even try. That's what's happened to the Israelites. Right? They're so used to being slaves that even though they're only tied with a piece of string, because of God's promises, that chain has been taken away. They're only tied with a piece of string that they could, as elephants, you can break out of, no problem. But because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, they look at the chain, they look at the string and still see a chain. Some theologians call this the doctrine of man's total depravity. Others, like Riken, call this doctrine of man's total inability. question is this. How does this state of sinful man, okay, being so indoctrinated when it comes to sin, being so enslaved by sin, how does that kind of state of sinful man make God's relentlessness to save a necessity? Okay. How does the state of man being looking at the string and still seeing a chain, how does that make God's relentlessness to save a necessity? Want to know the answer? Come back next week. 47, 47 minutes. How does that kind of mentality, and how does that mentality play in our own lives? 
I hope to show you that by next week. Let's all bow down our heads and pray. Thank you.